0: a Podcast One production.
1: From the Inside with Peter Ricks. This is part two of Peter's conversation with legend of AM radio in the 1970s and then FM radio in the 1980s, Rod Muir. In this episode, Rod talks about those big early days when FM turned on, Triple M hit the airwaves and the personal friendships forged. So
2: then we're in... The, the radio station opens, Triple M opens, the Catholics are now history and... No, no, they weren't straight away. Weren't no, you? no, but in, yeah. in your mind there, oh, well, you just moved on. Yeah. But the, the, that moment when that lovely, sweet, clear music, you know, distorted yeah. as Neil Young might no, be... No, that was just a test. Thing. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it, that it, 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 it arrives in anybody who loved music suddenly had another place to go to listen yeah. to things, right? Yeah. It was, It was a destination that was immediate. And, and yet m- my memories of this were that straight, virtually straight away there was this family in Bondi that mm. y- you felt that you, on air in particular, and that, you know, that obviously started with Uncle Doug and then there was... Well, he
0: didn't do straight away. Really? No, no, he wasn't there for a couple of years. We got him off Triple J. That was a day was bag. Um, <laughs> um So who who was uh, that? Was
2: Wally Keith Williams? Was he there? Keith
0: Williams was on air. Um, I can't remember a lot of them, but but, but I
2: mean, the, 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 the the journey of that of that group that that you then brought together.
0: We, we did the same. We, we had a music source station. Yeah, there was a formula involved that would get us there. Um, we were never beaten. You know, we started off, we'd, we'd, we, we only had uh, Willacy, e. Laws and Kennedy as opponents. And, you know, I'd gone to John and, and Michael and said... And that was today. That's today. That was to, they got the Today licence. Yeah. Uh, the second one. And, and I went to them and said, look, you know, I'm not trying to threaten you or uh, um, tell you what to do. But this is what I'm going to do, and I'm good at it. and And you guys are television people, and I'll skin you alive if you transgress against this line. Right. I, you know, I will be I will be unmercifully ruthless, and I will work 24 hours a day. And I don't. I want us to be friends, and so don't just waste your money and your time. You take that mm. and which leave they, us alone. Which, which they did. did. Yeah, they did. Well, it made common sense. Yeah. Dear Michael. Uh, you know, land a lot of money out of it. Yeah. Which he then brought the swans to Sydney. Yeah, that's true. He did.
2: Yeah, no, uh, that, that, that is true in those days there was, because Graham Kennedy was in there somewhere as well. He
0: was, the three of them.
2: Yeah, and th- there, there was peace and harmony in the in the back paddock at the they time. Were,
0: they were really good at it and the guys worked really hard at it, mm. you know. I remember one of the one of the uh, licence applicants, because it was all, everyone had a QC, Silk, and everyone was performing it the, before the broadcast tribunal. And um, um, one of the uh, QCs looked at Willacy, Laws, and Kennedy, and said, "I'm so tempted to support your application for the, to think I could switch you all off with one switch." <laughs>
2: oh dear! So, in inside at Triple M over those let's call the first five years, some mm-hmm. seriously talented on-air people. With a you know Denton was was well, a Dent, part of Dent, a,
0: Denton came and worked as a because uh, uh, Murray had joined. Yeah, and 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 he wanted to have writers. And yeah, I said, well, I'll pay you a bit of money. I'm not employing writers, <laughs> <laughs> so he had to pay. <laughs> I'll give you. Well, I yeah. set a budget so yeah. that he had to live within that budget because it came out of his pocket.
2: And is breakfast? And I'm don't want to just yeah. talk about Doug, but breakfast, being beyond being breakfast, is it destroying in the end? Or Can you? Like the, and the in-laws and those guys ended up pretty much leaving and getting to the middle of the day so they could get some more sleep. But right. the, it always, I mean, I, I guess I'm learning this out of out of your time at 2SM, but the, there was always the, the breakfast show had to work in order for the rest of the day to then roll.
0: Well. It helps. It helps. Um, um, there's no doubt when Murray joined us, he, he improved our breakfast numbers because we were just a music source mm. at that stage and happy to be there because we wanted to be envisaged as you know, a good time.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: And, and, and then Moray came. And the biggest problem with Doug was, was um, um, I said, look, happy to do a deal. These are the parameters. This is the structure. You can do what you like here, here, here and here, but the rest of it flows. And it was always a battle with Doug to get him to toe the line on that.
2: But that personality thing—that's surely the heart, the, the fine line between yes. the music and yes, get, allowing the is. personality freedom to do it.
0: It is, yeah, it is, it is. It's an it's it's a you know an art form because. <laughs> The personality of that calibre, the bigger the personality, you know, the more they think every word they say is a gushing moment of brilliance and, and it's not. Mm. And and to get them to be concise and to understand that they are in living in a house of music where music is the primary function. So did it ever get
2: too hard managing those egos? No, not really. Not
0: really because, you know, like, I mean...
2: Because you had you had layers under you that were meant yep. to do the the micro, but inevitably you're the one at midnight ringing them to say,
0: uh, well, and going
2: well, back to sleep straight away. Of course,
0: no, no, no. That was a two SM thing, really. I, I you know, uh, um, I well, I, I can't remember the triple M thing at, at, at that stage, but. Um, I probably did less of that, but nonetheless, you can't manage something. You can't. How do, can you manage someone doing a job function that you don't know how he does it? Yeah, quite. So you have to be able to do everything yourself in order to be a good leader.
2: But you, I, I always thought you were the great motivator in that place. The 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 momentum of 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 the radio station came always from you. And yeah, that, because that, it
0: was a passion. No, yeah. nothing, nothing, nothing great in life ever happens without passion.
2: Yeah, so in the midst of, of that motivation, there are sometimes when you're brutal, honest but brutal, in order to get where you've got to go. Determined, I'd put, rather than brutal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Frank. Would that well, be absolutely.
0: Better? What's wrong with being frank?
2: No, quite. You know, I mean,
0: the worst thing is someone who waffles and says something and, and the other person goes, God, they're enthusiastic about it. What was he saying?
2: So, so then... Part of that is, is, truthfully, to be unconventional because you, you don't – to, to, to continually do the same thing all the time is, d- denies the need for reinvention. So in, in, the, in that being – in, in being unconventional within the radio process, were there times when some of those decisions that you decided to make didn't work or did do you, Oh, lots. Really?
0: Lots, yeah, but you just admit, admit your mistakes quickly. You know, otherwise you're fearful of making any decision. You know, like just just don't up. You know, the problem with people who who make decisions is that they try desperately to camouflage the fact that they were wrong, and it's much quicker to say, much much more efficient. And and as for, you know, fulfilling a functional, in robotic form, your problems don't occur in any business like that. No. You know, your your problems are occurring by outside influences and and other factors, and you've got to be where the trouble is, you know? I mean, there's too many people. If we went to lunch to get smashed, we went to lunch to get smashed and pulled the blinds down. Mm. And they'd know, we didn't pretend we were doing something else. We were out there getting smashed.
2: I used to to have a rule when I I worked with Warner Brothers and my beloved friend Paul Turner, who ran Warner Brothers, who you'll remember, and... uh, The dog, as we called him. Yeah, he was. And um, I always used to go for the visits in the morning. <laughs> and I'd ring his secretary and say, Now, is he going to lunch today? If, if he was going to lunch, yeah. you never tried to do a deal in the no. afternoon. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah, that's no, true. It's yeah. true. But that wasn't, I mean, I was with guys from the station. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, no. We would be celebrating something. There yeah. would be a reason that we were going out uh, and, look, and, and getting space. But we didn't do it that often. But when we did it, Everyone seemed to notice because we did it well.
2: <laughs> Mate, relationships remain the key to most of the world.
0: We were buying... We got into French champagne and we were buying um, pink mullet and chandon, I remember we had a we had a pension for, by the pallet. Oh. <laughs> and this is... I said, well, we'd get so much cheaper, you know, it was such
2: a better deal. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Why, why, why buy it by the single bottle? I agree.
0: Well, no, it was good. But, but also also uh, in that time, you are you, you, uh, making other friends, you know, I was racing yachts at the time too. So, so, you know, you were lessening the amount of time that you were spending at work, the more successful it became. And uh, Dennis Connors, you know, I'd I'd raced against a couple of times and he came out and um, uh, we were pretty friendly. Um, um, I had a a house on Elizabeth Bay and just around the corner from the Cruising Yacht Club and with his own jetty and as the boat came out to the start line with 24 guys on board, they'd send a tender in to pick me up and be on the boat for the start of the race. Yeah, wonderful. Well, it was civilized living, but one of the things I was going to say then was it was Gough Whitlam. I had him down to lunch one day. He was always my hero. You talk about someone that is maligned in later life um um and I remember there was we sat down to lunch, and I was just like a a fan, you know <laughs> and 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 um uh, it had been in the news that week that the CIA perhaps had done, had something to do with his dismissal. I don't know whether you remember the story. Anyway, he came and I said, "I, I, I said, I said, I said, so, so, Goff, the CIA is—is is that true?" And he said, "Oh, no, 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 no." no. I, I I said, "Well, what was it with the dismissal?" He said, "No, no, no. It was just right. It was just Kerr afraid to lose his job." And and he went on to to explain to me, because like great people are great communicators yes. in simple terms. Yeah. And he 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 summed it up this way, and it was the best description of, of his being fired. He said he was afraid to lose his job because he was the first Australian governor general. Before that, they'd all been poms. And their remuneration after they left the job was always settled out of England. And Goff had said, we will have an Australian and I will look after him. And when it came down to the crunch, Fraser, who was a very smart operator, went to Kerr and said, you either do this or you won't have a superannuation Mm. and you won't have a job.
2: I I have a memory of Goff, a a personal memory of Goff where... Uh, when I ran the Ari Awards for the, yep. all those years, uh, I was privy to to who would win. And in one particular year, the Whitlam was one album of the year. And I, I knew this like a week out from the yep. uh, Capitol Theatre of the television show. And so I rang his private secretary, who and they wouldn't have known me from Adam, but he had an office up in Westfield in, yep. in William Street, and asked if he would come and present... The award. the award that night, without the band knowing mm. they'd won, mm. and the bastard turned up. He was the he was one of the great human beings of our time. Oh, like, listen, he, he and, is. And yeah. when the when he got up and opened the envelope, because yeah. he he didn't know either who was oh, going to win. you didn't win, tell him. No. No. <laughs> um, but he certainly knew that there was a band called what the Whitlams. and so he opened the envelope and on national television. And opens it up, takes a look at it and, and looks at the camera and smiles and says, my children, you may join me on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Friedman uh, came yeah. up. They were genuflecting on the floor. It was well, one right. of those great
0: moments. He, he was such a marvellous human being. Yeah, no, you know? no. But you talk about people who, who have imagery perceptions other than what they really are. Jimmy Barnes. Mm. Jimmy is one of the most generous, nicest people yes. that, that that I've ever met, and 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 I I you know, I've been to the concerts when he's had a swig or two of a vodka bottle, you know, and he's no doubt has great capacity for consumption when he's rocking, but but he is an absolute gentleman, and and he and Jane are just royalty you know, no, together as a pair. No. I mean, and yet his imagery perception is that of a, of a wild man. I mean, he has, he has his moments.
2: Australia, and maybe I'm a little older for it now, mm. but that we've all grown up as mm. Jimmy's grown up. Yeah. And, and you know, I was there at the Bondo Lifesaver in the corner with yeah. Wayne Grucci, and yeah. um, the things that went on in there that we're just not going to talk about on a broadcast. No. But they were... The, the, Jimmy wrote a book, uh, this, the second one's due out if it's not out now, mm. and in it the level of his honesty about his life and times yeah. reflects enormously on the sort of human no, being.
0: And that's the way he is. Yeah, yeah. That's the way he is. We went to um, uh, stay with them in Thailand um, when the kids were all very young. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I was absolutely staggered by, I mean, he's the sort of father everyone would love to have, you know, his attention to the kids and his love of the children yeah. and his work ethic, yeah. you know, for, I mean, Well, that's he, it, isn't it? He committed to several hours a day to write and he just loved all music. Yeah. It wasn't just rock and roll, he loved country music, he loved, he loved it
1: all, yeah. you know, he's a complete package. This is From the Inside with Peter Ricks and this is part two of his conversation with one of the godfathers of Australian radio, Rod Muir. In a moment, they talk about Triple M extending into Melbourne and Rod moving on from radio. Rod also finally clears up the story about the end of his era at Triple M, the chainsaw and the boardroom table. Oh, it's, a, it's up and running um, that beautiful boat
2: Winwood Passage arrives, mm. the most gorgeous boat I've ever seen in my entire mm. life, that first one that you bought nice, out. Nice. yeah. Um, was there a time then when you started to think about the next stages of your journey? Were you happy to stay it all, inside?
0: It was all part of a plan, really, you know, from what you got the licence. Um, it, it was... Um, um, uh, Firstly, you know, we had a maximum shareholding of 10%. There was only one common denominator. I was a 10% shareholder between all the parties. That was me. They ranged from Harry, Vander and George Young in one instance to, you know, um, my father-in-law who was the chairman, you know, mm, and, yeah. and Sir Ian Turbot.
2: meant um, you had gone out and got... It. It wasn't as if you went to... High society to get the money.
0: No, 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 I went there all, I knew them all. I was the only one common denominator. And so when the time came, when I knew that it was about to blow, I went to everyone and said, look, I'll pay you seven times your original investment in three years or whatever it was. Um, um, And those that were in working with us, uh, I said, stay in for the ride. Mm. But then I moved my 10% to 70.3 or something. Yeah. so that the, I had control of the memorandum and articles. Yeah. And then I went to Melbourne and, and set a price precedent by buying E.ON. Uh, Eon. Mm. And um, Well, that gave you the network, really, didn't it? Sydney, Melbourne. Well, yes, but it was more to set a price precedent of the value of a licence. Ah. Uh, um, and I'd, uh, Nick Whitlam was my banker. He was always my banker when he was running the state bank and, and I'd said to Nick on the phone, I was going down, I said, so how much can I spend? <laughs> he said, well, it a mass rod. And he was really impressed with my ability to, to um, he thought I was reading the books, in fact, the first two years. He said, you can't go into a crank-up operation and be that because we were going from two million dollars turnover to four million to eight million, mm. and I was right within ten thousand dollars of, of all the ex- outgoings and incomings and and stuff and 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 uh when he questioned me on it, and I said, "Well, listen, you know do either know what you're doing or you don't you know yeah. and 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 the fact that I'm your best operator you, know, you should check your values of the people yeah. you have as clients uh, uh and anyway so so we got on really well and I said. Uh, how much can I spend? And I think it was like 30, $30 million or something. And I went down to the board down there and I wanted to close the deal and they were humming and hawing and TUW had people on the board and and uh, they were going, oh, yes, well, maybe and that. And I said, well, eventually I said, look, what about 34000000 million? Let's go and we'll do the deal now. And it was a much bigger number than they thought they could do, so I, we did the deal. And I came back and rang Nick and said, How'd you go? And I said, Well, it's good news and bad news. He said, He said, Well, give me the good news first. And I said, Well, we've got the deal. we got the license. He said, That's great, Rob. What's the bad news? I said, I had to spend four million more than you gave me. He said, Oh, well, neither here, nor there. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were the good old days. Yes. But but it meant then doing the maths. Uh, and I wasn't so sure that. I've never trusted governments really. I've been, I just think they're a moving feast. And and I didn't, as I'd had it set up, I was, my capital gains and everything were tax-free. And and so I just set it up on a deal where I think I left with $50 million cash tax-free.
2: But So did, was that a, you happy to move on at that stage? Well, you know, what, what was, was it, it going
0: to do? You know, like, I mean, you know, I mean... Well, I've I have thir- done it for thirty years.
2: I, I, I get it that for you, there's yeah. there's other challenges, other things to do. Well, look for. yes,
0: no, no. I I, I went and learned. I, 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 I mean, we all built a farm, and 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 it was a very beautiful farm. Uh, we got the wood, the timber out. They were building Parliament House, and we got the timber off off the dal- because they always over order. Oh, wow. And and so each of the bedrooms in this in this main house was a Hew and Pine room and a Rosewood room and a yeah. other room. I, and and I'd been at John Cornell's place up in Byron Bay and, and that'd been our inspiration. So we got his architect, uh, the same guy who was a very, very good architect. We got all the people that built all the hippies out of the hills and stuff that were capable of doing this stuff. And they came down for three years and we built this farm and we went to, um, uh, to Russia to because uh, they wanted horses. And when they said, what sort of horses? I didn't realise there was more than one sort of horse. And <laughs> so I had a look around and, and, and they said, I, I said, oh, Arabian horses were so beautiful. And I said, well, let's do that. So then we went to Russia because um, um, uh, Russia had funded the Aswan Dam for Egypt. Uh, and Egypt has, had, as a thank you, given Russia their best... Uh, young stallion for that year, and he turned out to be the greatest sire of all time, called Aswan, of course. And 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 he had just died, and his last daughter was for sale. So we rocked up, and uh, Kathy and I and and um, um, outbid Mrs. Wrigley, uh, uh, as
2: in Wrigley chewing gum.
0: Yes, who, who had a farm on Catalina Island. <laughs> oh. And um, um, I don't know, it was $100,000 or something. It didn't seem a lot at the time because we were racing maxi boats and yes. that was pretty expensive. Um, anyway, we got these Arabian horses and we got them down. So, so like, life is biting off more than you can chew and chewing like buggery. <laughs> and and so we had to learn about having foals and how to breed horses and then I wanted to grow flowers, so I built this nursery and I learned how to grow daylight-responsive plants uh, like chrysanthemums at, at Mother's Day and poinsettias at Christmas, and orchids.
2: So, and so Glenn, you can, I can blame Glenn Wheatley then for setting you loose into the horse business, or was that all on, like that? Weekly well,
0: gen- was the Weekly was the guy that ended up. Well, he would pay the money, and it made sense that he, he should he should come in and do it, and and. Um, um, I mean, I, I I don't know Glenn that well, but you know, I don't know how how well he did at it. He didn't seem to hold on to it too long.
2: No, he certainly didn't. Um, <clears throat> so then, uh, as you may may fondly remember, I was at lunch with you and yes. a small group of others. That was a great day <laughs> when we seemed to order, or on, you seemed to order every every s- s- single bottle of French. Wine Dr. that was available in the yeah. in the in the restaurant in celebration of this extraordinary moment. We did, and then <clears throat> at some point you headed back to the radio station <clears throat> and with Frank. Yes,
0: well, Frank Mancini, who was the chief engineer, he had left two weeks before because we'd all planned our escape at the same time, and and Frank had said, um, uh, I hadn't. He came back for the lunch on the last day, and I said, Frank, uh, did they look after you? Did they give you a present? He said, yeah, "Yeah, it was great." I said, "What did they give you?" He said, "He said, he said, um, a chainsaw." I said, "A chainsaw?" <laughs> he said, "Yeah, yeah, but it was what I wanted." I said, "What do you want a chainsaw for?" And he said, "He was going up to Coffs Harbour or somewhere." And he said, "Did you know when they gave it to me, I had this overwhelming desire to cut the table, to cut it in half? We had this giant boardroom table that that was you could see I think 12 people around it was Tasmanian Oak and, and I said what a great idea we'd had a couple of drinks at the time and I said do you think this is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon I said do you think you can go home and get it and, and, and uh, he said uh, yeah so we got him a cab straight away and he, and he went to get the chainsaw and we held off Wheatley and the handover till 6 o'clock at night and of course the moment we decided said, let's go for it Frank And I explained to the staff that it was just a symbolic gesture, uh, that um, we were a certain type of administration, which was about to finish in our opinion, and I couldn't possibly speak for the incoming people, but I had seen the way they fondly look at their accountants and and I was doubtful as to whether the same vibe would continue. And Wheatley's standing there with his mates, and he's looking aghast. And anyway, I said, Come on, Frank, let's do it. So Frank just gets up on the table and gets a chainsaw going, and the air conditioning, of course, it was six o'clock, went off. And so the smoke came out of the, it wasn't it going was yours. anywhere. And he picked the, the 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 part in the table where the bolts were holding it together. Oh. So it'd go really well for about a foot, and then bah! sparks would fly everywhere as he buggered his chainsaw cutting through another bolt. <laughs> so it took some time to get through.
2: I think Glenn Wheatley's scarred for life by that that uh, that afternoon. I don't think he's ever forgotten it.
0: He hasn't. He hasn't forgotten it. But but what annoys me a bit about it is is that some of the people that were there. One of which is Wheatley. They say I cut the table, which was an insult to Frank. Really, yeah, quite. And the fact that I was incapable of handling a chainsaw at that stage of my existence (laughs) never crossed their minds. And then somebody told me that I then raced into the studio with the chainsaw going and held it at the neck of the guy on air. And I've gone, this is just going too far. You know, mate. Urban mythologies—you got to its amazing, isn't it? Mm.
2: Do you still miss it at all?
0: A little bit, a little bit, but it can never be the same. Yeah. It can never be the, the. we were an absolute embracing of the inmates running the asylum and... They
2: were a hell of a family, Rod, that whole yes, thing. Yes, but
0: every time I walk into a radio station, you know, the, the, the administrators or the managers or whatever they title, they give themselves, just look at me in horror... I mean, the, the, my 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 existence and the fact that I'm still alive mm. that, uh, is that they feel threatened by it that I could live through that and live. But I, uh, I mean, we we we. I don't know about the current administration of radio stations, but I, they're they're not like we were.
2: Yeah. Uh. I paused after that because we are in a radio station at the moment.
0: That's no, so, okay. So the, 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 this is probably one of the better ones.
2: Yeah, it is. Now, so the f- people like Frank and Miss Barb, who we met at the front yep. door on the way in, um, yep. all, all part of that family who's still st- – yes. is Frank still in the game? I don't know. No.
0: I haven't seen Frank for years. Yeah. But we, not only that, you would come in and, and feel, feel free to be in the place and, yeah. and wander through. Uh, in, into offices and speak to people, Bob Hawke did too, yeah, I mean bob Hawke was was um, uh, he was he, when, he, when he was when he was trying to be the prime minister and he was going through elections, he came up in Bondi Junction and, as you do on the lift here, and the lift 's open, and we 'd heard he was coming and and I was running a bit of research, and I knew he was a shoe and you know and and so and and, and besides, I liked. <laughs> He's yeah. a larrikin and yeah, I, right. I like larrikins and, and, and so I, the, the, the rednecks of the Liberal Party were coming on with this crap about reds under the bed and, and people taking their money out of banks and stuffing it under mattresses. So and we were so broke. We've just started, you know, and, and so we, we went down and borrowed a bed from David Jones and the bank would only give us $2,000, you know, our own bank. And so we got that in denominational and stuck it out from under the mattress (coughs) and I got someone in a bottle shop to lend me a bottle of Grange and we stuck it under the bed. And anyway, Hawk came out and he, he's, I'd never met him before and, and he's just looked around and I've gone and said, thanks for coming. And he's looked and he's gone straight to the bed and he's gone, he could smell a good story here. And he's gone, oh, cash under the mattress, eh? And he said, don't suppose there's no reds under the bed. And I've gone, well, as a matter of fact, and pulled out the grains. <laughs> and he's grabbed the grains like that and the cameras were about to get him because he'd given up the squirt. Uh, and, I, and I said, but you're not interested in that at all at the moment, are you? And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, that's great. And and he knew I saved him from that bad yeah, bad uh, moment. And anyway, we became quite good friends. Yeah. And he too would come up to the radio station with Bob Hogg and and when they had to fill in time because they felt safe there and he'd use the boardroom and he'd smoke his silly cigar yeah, and yeah. whatever he was on about. And I remember one day we were walking through and we were doing quite well and... He said, uh, something came up about tax and I said, well, I paid a million dollars to the bloody tax department just last week or something. He said, did you? And I said, yeah, isn't it great? He said, really? Why'd you spend that much? I said, because it's, I said, imagine how well I'm doing if I paid you a million bucks. You know, I said, life's, life's fantastic. I'm really happy to pay tax. And he's gone, oh, and so, you know, like, he thought I was a weirdo but a nice one, you know, and... and yeah. But that that
2: that there's there's something missing in in that world of creativity, which is what it all is in the end. Yes. You you can't run your life. I mean, in the modern world, people want to where procurement and purchasing decide everything you're going to do. But I mean, Bob Ork was another one of those people that um, he, he he made a decision and he followed it through. And if it was right, it was it it it. it it was yeah. a good thing. If it wasn't, then he'd apologise and keep going.
0: Yes. I, I think that's... It, it, absolutely.
2: Not much of that happens anymore. He was a leader. Yeah,
0: quite. He, he, and, and, and that's what we suffer from. Um,
2: is, is there a... Apart from all this lovely story, is there, is there a favourite memory for you? Or is, is it is it more about life on the boats and that or is it during those radio days because there's so many people that mm. um will hear this but who who really have memories and if not worked in that world
0: was, I mean for, it, for you these were great days these were great days um no, no, no nothing nothing particularly one memory it, it's it's you know the, the the joyful circumstance of being able to—I remember when NXS started, and we heard that band, and they were so good. Yeah, they were so good, and 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 we managed to put them to air live, mm. you know, and, and and that was so, and it worked because we had Mancini and people like that that could understand, you know, and Chris Murphy was going through a very likable stage, and
2: so, somebody. Um I, I read referred to you as the 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 Godfather that likes to start grass fires and then afterwards uh, helps fan the flames. Did you ever hear that quote?
0: Mm, no, but yeah, it's it's that's fair enough. You know, um, it's exciting to do things. That, that's what makes uh, industries good. That's what, that's what really attracted me about radio is that <laughs> it has so much immediacy and flexibility uh, is that there's very little that you can't do straight away.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, and, and it should appeal to impatient people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like yourself. Exactly. Um, so, look, I, I know how, how much uh, you I mean, you, um, what's that line where you... you don't mind the footlights, but you don't actually want to be the person in the middle of the stage. So I, I'm wow. extremely uh, grateful for you coming in to visit today oh, and having the chat. Pleasure, it yeah. was, I've, I've, I've found out things I didn't know about that I'm, I'm glad I did. Um, Uncle Rod, thank you very much for coming in and
1: uh, enjoy the rest of it. Absolute pleasure. Take care. In the next episode, Peter Ricks speaks to the man known as the Song Doctor, record producer Charles Fisher. From Ol 55 to Air Supply, Radio Birdman to Savage Garden, his life as a producer has been rich and diverse. That's next time on From the Inside. From the Inside is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.